most humans in this moment live paths that they've been told they should embark on. Mm-hmm. Go to the school, go to college, check get, all the boxes, you know, right? be a doctor, an attorney. I mean, no offense about doctors and attorneys, <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's, there are those stories that are so entrenched in our culture. Do this and you'll be happy. And you'll be happy. Right. And then they wake up, whether it's addiction, depression, anxiety, huge life change, and people don't know who they are. You've heard about it. It's probably been in your social feeds. It's definitely having a moment in the culture. Psychedelic assisted therapy is proving to be very effective. Mushrooms, ayahuasca, MDNA, ketamine, many others. And there's even a really interesting popular Netflix series right now called How to Change Your Mind on it. But the question is, is plant medicine for you? I sought out highly esteemed plant medicine educators, their spiritual teachers, and co-founders of the East Institute to help you understand more about what it does, who it's for, and how it changes people and healing in general, but mostly give you an opportunity for introspection and asking yourself, what will bring you more peace and freedom as you move forward? What is stopping you? What in this society has kind of hurt you and can you break free? My guests today are Lena Franklin. She is a modern medicine woman, a transpersonal psychologist with a BA in psychology and a master's in social work from UGA. She's appeared on Bravo, Lifetime, New York Times, World Travel Magazine, and the cover of Yoga Magazine, among others. Her partner in business, life, and love is Jeff Gladstein, who is a highly educated in science and mathematics, has a background in running technology companies, and left it all as his own life transformed from healing from the brink of death to thriving and answering the call to help others heal through his work as a shaman in energy healing. Their stories are so fascinating, and I've been hunting them down for months to break it down for us. Let's listen in. If you'd like to listen to these episodes ad-free and early and support an independent podcaster, that's me, sign up at patreon.com forward slash culture changers or go to allisonhair.com for the direct link. I have been so excited to welcome Lena Franklin and Jeff Gladstein from the East Institute to this podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, 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 yes. So I know I kind of gave your background in the introduction. And what I'm very interested to know, you guys live in a spiritual world, and your world is making that spiritual world accessible to other people. And I wonder, and we can start with you, Lena, what was spirituality? What did it look like when you grew up growing up in your house? Yeah. So in my childhood home, it was really interesting. I grew up in a Buddhist Christian home. So my dad's a Presbyterian Southern boy from Marietta, Georgia. And my mom was from Vietnam and a Buddhist. And and really they wove both Christianity and Buddhism into my childhood experience. So it was 
very loving, very accepting. Um, One Sunday I would go to church with my dad. The next I would go to temple with my mom. So I had this really beautiful experience of both Eastern philosophy and Eastern spirituality, but also um, the roots of Christianity as well. And when I think about it, you know, they really taught me the common denominators between the two versus it being like East and West. Yeah. East and West. And there's a lot of common denominator between Christianity and Buddhism. And so the lesson really became that we're all inherently spiritual beings, no matter what spiritual or religious background we come from. And I feel that that lesson and that teaching of acceptance um, was really a seed planted within me that continues to foster and support the work that I share with the world today. And so I wonder, you know, growing up in a, in Georgia, right? So Georgia, did you find it hard to find your place in the world? Because not everybody has access or has that kind of teaching nurtured. You know, I imagine you probably felt maybe like you were kind of an, on, a, on, on an island. Yeah, actually, I grew up in Northern Virginia. My dad grew okay. up here in Georgia, but still technically the South. Yeah. And what I found was still with, you know, I had a really gifted upbringing in many ways, but it was still very misunderstood by my friends, by, you know, people in the community. And there was still this sense of being the other. So even though, you know, it was really rich and I think gave me so much um, depth and wisdom at the time as a kid, I felt really different. And I would, I would even, you know, you're also mixed race. Like you look very exotic. Yeah. Yeah, So, so being half Vietnamese, um, I, I, felt actually, if I'm going to be completely transparent, I had some shame around that. Like when my mom would speak Vietnamese to me in the grocery store, I would immediately yell at her and tell her to stop because I was embarrassed of feeling and being the other. So this was something I had to reconcile through my own healing journey. Hmm. And then Jeff, tell me about what spirituality looked like for you growing up. So my um, family moved down to Atlanta when I was a year old from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Jewish in the Deep South in the early wow. 60s. Yeah, in the early 60s. And I witnessed the civil rights you know, movement. And as I was growing up, because we weren't a member of one of the only two synagogues here in Atlanta, my version of Judaism were the holidays. You know, Rosh Hashanah and sure. Yom Kippur and Passover. Um, so I didn't really grow up uh, practicing a religion. And inside my house uh, was nor- was very northern, Jewish, ethnic, you know, kind of upbringing. Um, and as soon as I would walk out the front door, it was Southern Baptist in the Deep South. Yeah. Okay. So um, much like Lena, I felt like an outsider. I didn't really relate to Christianity. I didn't really relate to Judaism. And when I was about 10 years old, um, my older brother had friends that would drop off books Um, for him to read on spirituality and he would glance at them he was 12 years older than me he would glance at them um, and I began to read them and what drew you to them 
my soul just kind of led me there. You know, I was just always a very curious kid. So I started reading and I began reading about different religions and different types of practices, Eastern, you know, philosophies and practices. So at around 10 years old, that was like the seed that was planted for me. And shortly after that, I was very attracted to um, study martial arts. And I became very interested in, in more of the internal meditative aspect of the martial arts, in addition to kind of the external aspect of martial arts. And from the time I was about 12 years old, you know, through my teen years, you know, into my 20s, it was kind of one learning after another. Uh, and I remember when I was 12 years old, um, 11, 12 years old, I was meditating. Nobody. Who does that? Like, yeah. Like, who does that? Like, what are you doing? I'm 47. I can't figure it out. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. So so the way my, my spiritual um, entry you know, was really through um, not having an identification with any type of religion. And I felt like there was something more. And when I began reading, there were many things that just resonated with me. And as, you know, Lena, you know, loves to point this out, I'm very curious. You know, I can, you know, be very kind of voracious when it comes to acquiring, you know, information and knowledge. Um, and, you know, from there, my spiritual path continued to unfold. You have such an interesting background as, you know, from what I understand, you have uh, education in science and technology. You were a CEO of a technology company, and then you become a shaman. (laughs) (laughs) And the way you present, you present like a white man. Like, I don't look at you and think, oh, that looks like a shaman. You know, I wonder, uh, again, you know, kind of being othered. It sounds from what I'm hearing that you were seeking truth and that the religions that were presented or that were around you either weren't inviting you or weren't in a place where it felt like you wanted to know where you would fit, but you were seeking. I was seeking for many, many years. Um, when I was in the business world, you know, as, as you'd mentioned, my education was in, you know, biology, organic chemistry, and then um, also physics and mathematics. And then I went into the technology field Mm -hmm. um, in communications and grew in that field, started my own company, built it. uh, And I actually did that a couple of times. Looking at my life from the outside, I had everything anybody would ever dream of. Mm -hmm. Plenty of money, family, lived in a big house, all the material things, successful business. And yet that restlessness that you talk about, right, was within me. I felt like there was something missing. And what really put me back on the spiritual path was I became very ill with with a condition that the doctors could never really um, properly diagnose. So I went through all the treatments. Um, at one point, they had told me that I had three months to live. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was devastating. And um, I was seeing all of the Western, you know, all the different types of Western doctors. And then one morning... Uh, in a moment of clarity, I heard a voice that said, heal yourself. And I went back to what I had learned about energy, about meditation, about kind of cultivating a more natural form of self-healing. And that day I stopped seeing the doctors, stopped taking the drugs. I was very unhealthy at that point. Um, And eight months later, I looked pretty much the same way I do now. Um, Healthy, thriving, and it was through kind of 
the cultivation of, of my energy and doing things in a very natural um, way, traditional medicine, what we call traditional medicine, not conventional Western right. medicine, um, that I was able to find myself back onto the path of health. And as part of that, I also had to find myself. And that's where the spiritual deepening on my path really occurred. That is insane in so many levels. And I wonder, you know, a lot of people suffer from undiagnosed illnesses and, and uh, dis-ease, right? And I wonder, did you, were you scared at that time? Or did you feel like you were being guided and led? Or was it like, I have nothing left to lose. I have three months to live. Yeah, I was actually numb. I felt numb. I was taking so many different um, medications, mm -hmm. you know, pharmaceuticals. Um, I felt numb. I had literally given up. It was the first time in my life I had ever given up. Um, that complete and total surrender. And that's when the voice, you know, guided me to seek a more natural alternative form of healing. Mm -hmm. That's what put me on the shamanic path. What did that look like, the shamanic path? Oh, well, it began by, um, by me meeting um, another shaman who I was living in California at the time, and he came down from Northern California for a meeting that I was invited to, and we stared at each other across the table, and afterwards he said, I didn't know why I was coming down here until I met you, and I meant to work with you and teach you. And that's how my formal learning with shamanic healing began. And then from there, it was just a domino effect for many years. This is so wild. So you come from a place of, of really being in a place of despair and hearing a voice and following that. And Lena, you had a, almost a s similar journey without the disease, but like you have studied all over the world to become, I don't know what it, like a, me a modern medicine woman and kind of journey. What, what did that journey look like for you? Yeah. So as a child, I grew up traveling to Vietnam. And so Asia has always been a really deep soul home for me. And for, you know, quite a few years, I traveled around Asia, studied with different teachers, really immersed myself in the energy of those lands and really the lands in which meditation originated from. And so you know, that part of me, that spiritual part of me was really, you know, fed. And it all began with the East West um, upbringing. And also, you know, it's interesting, our spiritual awakening paths, a lot of times do include that deep despair and suffering. Really, I was put more deeply on my spiritual path when my mom suddenly passed and transitioned out of human form when I was in my first year of graduate school, studying to become a licensed clinical social worker. So I had that more formal therapeutic training. And in that time, I was experiencing my own grief and it was through that grief and the healing and the, and the leaning into the grief where I was like, wow, there's so much more to this life than what we see in three dimensions. It sounds like you were exposed to a whole new world, not a whole new world. I mean, you were kind of indoctrinated mm -hmm. into it and kind of led through this path. But then when you come across with people, I mean, you've got a degree in psychology, so you're probably very attuned to people's suffering and people's energy, I imagine, too. And I wonder what made you commit to this life of healing? It's a great question. You know, the best way I can describe it is that 
I felt like I had no choice. And of course we have free will, but it was, it was like this inner pull, this inner guidance that I had to follow, um, as one of the priority, one of the primary guiding forces of my life, whatever that meant. And so I, I became very dedicated to it. Um, you know, first becoming more traditional psychotherapist and working in that psychological realm. And then eventually, you know, weaving in meditation and mindfulness and embodied practices. And then from there, more energetic work, energy work, shamanic healing, and then eventually plant medicine. So, um, it was this inner guidance, which I think is such a great example of, you know, we're really taught to privilege intellect here in the Western world. We're not necessarily taught how to tune in to the inner guidance, our own energy, more of that bottom up intelligence Mm -hmm. of our soul that's speaking through our body. So that's been a massive, massive teacher and continues to be for this lifetime. I'm finding that it's more and more widely acceptable as, as they're showing the data on plant medicine really making a huge impact on people's mental health, especially coupled with therapy. And I wonder, there are probably a lot of misinformation and people that are skeptical of something like this because it's been demonized for so long. And some may know, some may not know, but as far as I can tell, it's in the 60s that it was all political. Like it was, there was showing such incredible progress. And then it was a political stunt that kind of took it away from us. When you guys are trying to educate people on not only plant medicine, but on the power of energetics and tuning into yourself, what do you find is the hardest thing to overcome when you're dealing with people's skepticism? So it's just that their skepticism is based on all of the conditioning, you know, that's occurred from society, from the government, from institutions, um, from their education, even from their family, from the time people are very young. So in the con- in, you know, let's put this in context. Plant medicines have been used as a central point of healing for at least 10,000 years that we know of, certainly longer, right? But the historical record, cave paintings show the use of what we call magic mushrooms, mm-hmm. psilocybin mushrooms, okay. dating back over 10,000 years. Every indigenous culture throughout the world has some type of plant medicine that is psychoactive that they use in the context of healing and in the context of spiritual transformation. Let's flash forward. The 50s and 60s, a lot of research was being done. It was showing amazing benefits yeah. for many different you know, mental health conditions. Also, the counterculture picked up on it. Mm -hmm. And the Nixon administration didn't like that. So the answer was to... um, Because people weren't getting... They were refusing to be drafted, right? That's right. They were refusing to be drafted. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They were calling out, you know, the government, you know, for being in the Vietnam War, uh, amongst other things, civil rights um, violations. There was just a lot of um, turmoil and unrest. So the Nixon administration had all psychoactive plants and compounds um, placed as a Schedule One drug. Same as heroin. No, no, No? actually not. Heroin, cocaine, crystal meth, fentanyl are Schedule Two drugs. Wow. Schedule One drugs are the most dangerous. Oh my goodness. These are plants that grow out of the ground. 
they're not synthetic, they're not laboratory produced. I mean, certainly the active ingredient can be. So all research halted for about 45 years. And then slowly there were uh, special dispensations made to research organizations to begin doing research again with some of these psychoactive compounds, MDMA, which comes from, which is a derivative of MDA, which comes from the sassafras plant. So there's a natural form of MDMA, which is now being studied to treat PTSD primarily. Psilocybin, you know, comes from mushrooms. Many different psychoemotional conditions, depression, anxiety, trauma, addiction, LSD, a number of others. Okay, so this research that's been done over the past 10 years, every single research report shows extremely positive benefits. And those benefits far exceed all of the pharmaceutical drugs for Mm. mental health treatment. And the reason is because these plants and these mushrooms change the fundamental structure of our brain. How does that work? What does it do to the brain? So the way our brain works is that neurons in the brain, we have billions of neurons, okay? They communicate with each other. They form pathways and structures, neural pathways. And they communicate through either electrical energy or chemical energy. All of our thoughts run over these pathways. Okay, so when we're stuck in a depressive state, we're having the same thoughts over and over and over again. And these pathways, these neural constructs are very tightly bound. Well, psilocybin, for example, disrupts the signaling between those neurons. It binds to the serotonin receptor sites, and then it activates 5,000 times more neurons and creates new connections and new Mm. pathways. So the old structure, neural structure associated with depression, anxiety, addiction, trauma, becomes flexible, disruptive, and ultimately through, you know, responsible um, use along with, you know, good therapy and other modalities, we literally break down the old neural structures and we create new neural patterns. So people literally go from being at the most extreme suicidal to loving life Mm. and this occurs in a matter of months not years so it's so 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 changing the fundamental structure of the brain by the way modern psychiatry is now looking at this and the way that they're doing it is through electric shock therapy Mm. okay the way that it's been done for at least 10,000 years is by natural plants, natural medicines that grow right out of Mother Earth. Is there misconceptions on the danger of it? And is that just responsible use or being unsupervised? You know, is there a danger to it? Is it a panacea? Let's look at psilocybin as an example. Psilocybin has one of the lowest risk factors. There was a study done out of a college, the Imperial College of London, on risk factors of many different compounds. Sugar, caffeine, alcohol, nicotine have 20 times more risk factor than psilocybin. Wow. Okay. Now, if you take a look at psychoactive plants, fungi, even psychoactive compounds, there are three things that are really important. One is what's called set. Set is a person's internal landscape. 
Okay, are they prepared? Are they in a good mental place? Are they in a good physical place to be? Meaning like a safe, in a safe environment. Well, that's setting. Setting is now a safe environment, you know, with everything that they need to support doing work with these, with these plant medicines. And then finally is, is dosage. So when somebody's educated on how to prepare themselves, how to create the right setting, how to work with people who are experienced with that, mm-hmm. right? And the right medicine and the right dosage, they have amazing results. Mm-hmm. And it's also important to think about the term, you know, people talk about a bad trip. Mm-hmm. And I want to really demystify that because that really perpetuates a, a black or white thinking and perpetuates fear. When someone's doing this work with, you know, the sacred plants with psilocybin specifically um, for this aspect of our conversation, when someone's doing the deep work, the intention is for whatever obstructive energies or thoughts that are not of service to that person's, you know, highest self, core Mm. self to come to the surface so they can come up and out and the reprogramming can happen. Now that may be very uncomfortable. That may include an ego fracture that may include... Talk about an ego fracture. What's an ego fracture? So when we're doing this work at a fundamental level, we are helping someone heal so they can release the energies of fear in order for them to embody their truth of love as a soul in human form. And we have this ego, the sense of meanness, I-ness, Um, We don't want to demonize the ego. It's the part of ourselves. It's the aspect that gets us up in the morning and motivates us to go into the day as Lena, you know, as Jeff, as whoever you are in the world. And so we want to honor that part. However, the ego often malfunctions and thrives on the energy of fear. Talk to me about, can I hold for a second? The ego malfunctions. Are we all malfunctioning? Most people. Yeah, most humans. It's actually a very important part of being human. Right. The ego in native traditions is referred to as the trickster, the coyote. It tells stories. It tells lies. It tells tells us what's false. And we know that in order for us to understand our truth, we first have to reconcile what's false. So what happens is from the time we're young, we're conditioned. Do this. Don't do that right? First it's family, then it's school, then it's more school, then it's social, then it's government, then it's institutional, mm-hmm. and on and on, right? So we create this this construct of beliefs that we have to do things a certain way. And if we don't do things a certain way, bad things will happen, right? Mm-hmm. So the ego gets structured, very complex uh, structure, <clears throat> as we continue to grow. And as Lena mentioned, it thrives on the energy of fear. So if you think about when we say, I'm scared, or I'm angry, or I'm sad, okay? Depression are thoughts about the past. Trauma, Mm. thoughts about the past. Anxiety, thoughts about the future. What if, right? So the ego continues to create 
these stories. And the ego actually exists in, in multiple areas, in, in parts of our brain that are associated with what's called the default mode network. Mm-hmm. And this is the area of the brain that, that kind of holds the thoughts that we have about ourselves. And most people, once you kind of scratch the surface, have the same fundamental thoughts about themselves. I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. Right? I'm not attractive. Right? On and on and on. Those are the thoughts associated with the ego. So when we're doing the medicine work, we're excavating those beliefs. And in fact, we're showing our conscious mind those beliefs from an expanded state. Mm. So we shatter the beliefs, and by shattering the beliefs, the ego fractures. Wow. And when the ego fractures, what that can look like is confusion. It can look like fear. It can look like someone perhaps not knowing where they are, who they are in that moment. But it's all very purposeful for that individual to release the energy of fear that has been perpetuating the ego for a long time. So it's people often call um, an uncomfortable experience with plant medicine a bad trip. Mm-hmm. when in fact um, it's something coming up and out in order for them to continue to heal, expand, and mm. really be a more optimal version of themselves. Well, and, and this is where having guidance, you know, having yeah. people to talk to or being properly educated on... People that are familiar with it that that's can right. facilitate right. it, right? Well, that, that, can help, that can help guide them through the integration of their experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to, to be with these um, plant medicines... It's another thing to very responsibly and systematically integrate that experience. Like, what did it mean? You know, what were these symbols I saw? What were these memories I had? How do I weave all of this together? Mm-hmm. And then how do I bring that into my everyday life to make sustainable change? And it's by doing that that we reinforce the repatterning of those neural pathways. Mm-hmm. So that bad trip, right, is very purposeful as long as somebody has the guidance on what to do with that experience. Are there any people that it's not good for? Like who are good candidates and who are probably smart to stay away? You know, there are some contraindications for the medicine, which is really important. And something we feel very strongly about is the assessment process. Is this person capable of holding this depth and level of work? Because as we just shared, if someone's going to have an ego fracture, there needs to be a level of stability and a foundation in order for them to move through that uncomfortable Mm -hmm. time, that phase. So the contraindications that we see and we assess for are, does the person um, personally or have a strong family history of bipolar one? Mm. Does the person personally or have a strong family history of any kind of psychotic disorders or schizophrenia? And then do they have a heart condition? Hmm. Because the medicine, you know, as you're releasing energy, it really fluctuates your body temperature, your heart rate can fluctuate. And so it's important from a health perspective to know that this person's biological body has the capacity to hold the medicine. It's also important to assess why they want to be with these plant mm-hmm. medicines. Okay, some people want to do it because their friends did it. 
mm-hmm. right? And they're not, they don't have the capacity to hold that work. Other people are desperate. They've done everything else. Treatment-resistant depression mm-hmm. is a great example of that, right? They've had all the drugs. They've had all the therapy. They've done all the treatments, and it's they're just... They're still suffering, right. Right. So the intention of, of doing the work is very important as well. We always share with people that, you know, if you're going to embark on that journey, right, this is very different than recreational, where you eat some mushrooms and go to a concert. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? Okay. Doing this work, this is um, some of the deepest psycho-emotional healing that a person can experience. And as Lena you know, pointed out, whatever's in is going to come up and out. Mm. Okay, so they have to be committed to kind of riding this because it does get messy. Okay, that deconstruction process is messy. Confusion, disorientation, what we refer to as ego flares. I don't want to do this, right? I don't feel safe. The stories get created. Mm-hmm. Okay. The people who stay with us, medical research is showing this. The people who stay with it receive sustained results. And the difference that we see between drugs, pharmaceuticals, and what we refer to as traditional medicines is that drugs treat the symptoms, medicines heal the cause. Mm. And if someone's interested in doing this work, a question that they should ask themselves is, am I willing to see all aspects of myself, my repressed memories, Mm. my repressed traumas, all the aspects of my shadow? When I say shadow, you know, the parts of ourselves that we're ashamed of that we push away, right? You know, our ego, our dark thoughts, our self judgments, our shame. And if that person is willing and they have the capacity to hold the depth and the level of this medicine work, then they could be a good candidate. But that's a very important question because you can't hide from the medicine. Mm. That's kind of a scary thought for a lot of people, I imagine. And, you know, Lena, I know that you, especially through the East Institute, have done a lot of offerings for the feminine, the divine feminine. And I want to understand from your perspective, what are we missing Yeah, this is, it's a very urgent time um, for humanity and the planet. As we see, you know, the earth is hurting in in many ways. And the embodiment of Mother Earth, Pachamama, is a feminine energy. She represents this endless, limitless creation. And that's really a reflection of who we are. We're not different. You know, our body is made of the same elements as the earth. And we've all lived in these hyper-masculine systems for a long time. Government systems. Do we call them the patriarchy? Because I do. Yes, we do. We call them (laughs) the patriarchy. Yes, yes, yes. And so we see that, you know, in all different ways, whether we're talking about organized religion, Mm -hmm. talking about government systems, systemic, systemic, we're all immersed in it. We're conditioned by it. We're programmed by it. And the energy of the divine feminine is the energy of flow. It's the energy of freedom. It's the energy of yin. When I say yin, it's that receptivity. Mm -hmm. But we've been so conditioned to be in this perpetual motion of masculine energy, putting energy out, being so do, um, do, 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 right. Talking about the ego, leading with our ego versus leading with our heart. And so this is a, a 
really monumental time in the collective energy shift around shifting from embodied masculine energy to more feminine energy, thus a balance of masculine and feminine energy. And it's essential part of our healing right now here for humanity and the earth. I think what's so cool about that is I think that from a mental perspective, we are all hurting, especially through this pandemic and redefining it. But having the chance to stand up and embrace, and I think what's so interesting is a few years ago, we were square in the middle of hustle culture. You know, get it done, work, 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 bust your ass, you know, make as much money as possible, show people what you can do. And now it's let it be easy. (laughs) It's like, relax, you know, like learn how to rest. You don't need to hustle like this. And I think it's a perfect time to kind of have this message of now that we're here, what can we do with it? And I wonder, and this is just something floating around in my brain, is there a confusion between the work that you guys do and the mysticism that comes along with astrology, with fortune telling or connecting with other dimensions? Mm-hmm. Is is there a difference? And, and please forgive me if I'm being offensive, but I imagine that there's probably some overlap in people's minds that I'd love to understand better. Yeah, so what we do is we're bringing that into the mainstream Mm -hmm. here's a fact our human eye only detects between two and four percent of the electromagnetic spectrum and they're photoreceptors we actually see from our visual cortex in the back of our head which means we only see two to four percent of what truly exists it's kind of like a dog can hear things that we can't hear because Mm -hmm. their hearing is more finely tinned and we base our entire concept of reality on what we see, what we hear, what we read, ultimately the belief system that's created. And yet there's 96 to 98% more out there. Now everything in the universe is energy, vibration, everything. So just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Now, there are different dimensions, different realms that have been associated with, you know, the esoteric, the mystical, Mm -hmm. the what's called woo-woo. Okay. All right. What's interesting is now scientific instrument instrumentation has become technologically evolved enough to begin seeing the human energy field, Karelian photography, to begin detecting the flows of energy between people, between people and plants. So we're beginning to, science is now beginning to prove out what the mystics, the esoterics, have known for thousands and thousands of years. A great example is traditional Chinese medicine. It's all about balancing the energy, the qi, in the body. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, if you ask, I think there was a survey done maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, do you believe in angels, was the question. Mm-hmm. 65% of people that were you know, interviewed, polled, said yes. Wow. So there, so two thirds of people believe in something they can't see. Same with God. Same with God. You know, right. Mm-hmm. right. It's very interesting how that goes. And I, I wonder the people that you work with, where do you feel like people are struggling the most? You know, it manifests in different ways, but at the core, I feel 
and we see this every day in our work at the East Institute and beyond, they're reconciling and struggling with really understanding who they are Mm -hmm. and why they're here because there's so much confusion. And we talked about conditioning, you know, we get very confused and we're in these stories and we really live these paths. Most humans in this moment live paths that they've been told they should embark on. Mm-hmm. Go to the school, go to college, check get, all the you, boxes, you know, right? be, you know, a doctor, an attorney. I mean, no offense about doctors and attorneys, <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's, there are those stories that are so entrenched in our culture. Do this and you'll be happy. And you'll be happy. Right. And then they wake up, whether it's addiction, depression, anxiety, um, huge life change, and people don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. So one of the most powerful questions that we work with our clients on as we guide them into the East method is who are you? Who are you? Who are you really beyond the masks, beyond the roles, the beyond social identities, the, the, yes, the identities that you've taken on, who are you? And most people don't know. And when you're living a life that's out of alignment of your soul, it creates sickness, illness, dis-ease in all different ways. I mean, Jeff experienced it in his own life. I did. Mm -hmm. You you know, the brain is like a computer that gets programmed. The body carries the brain around, and the body, along with the brain, becomes a part, a piece of a much larger machine. And most people go through their lives completely programmed, doing what they were told to do, living a life of what um, I I heard one time referred to as quiet desperation, Mm. okay, that manifests in depression and anxiety and addiction and many other, you know, conditions. They have no idea who they are, why they're here, and why they're so damn unhappy, Mm -hmm. even though they have all the material things, right? And they've accomplished all of the things that they were told to accomplish, and yet they're not happy. They don't experience joy, peace solitude so when that conditioning gets broken down we like to refer to this as showing people how to remember their truth Mm. and once somebody tell me about remembering yeah so when we remember our truth we really touch our essence like who we are why we're here i'm a medicine man a shaman And I've had lots of business experience and lots of other experiences. Lena says, I've lived a dozen lives in this lifetime. Mm. And she's right. And have done many things. But I'm not what I've done. And the path that um, I was called to was to leave all of that behind. All of it. Complete deconstruction. And to step into who I am and why I'm here. And we love to refer to as what my medicine is. Like, what am I bringing to the world, Mm. you know, to help, right? And when we remember, see, because we know, our knowing just gets covered up with the conditioning. So as we excavate each layer after layer after layer, we come down to our essence and we remember who we are. We remember why we're here. And then life completely rearranges itself. 
I will give a personal anecdote. I was in Colorado um, this past weekend and went to Red Rocks. And I've been there before. I've always felt like it's very religious. To me, it feels that way. And I was with some girlfriends and I left them at the bottom and ran up to the top and just took it all in and was like doing this breathing. And it was almost like a feeling of ecstasy. And I felt like this before where I feel so whole. And I also work with a shaman. She's like, you're remembering. And I was like, that's exactly it. It felt like I, I, I'm one for nothing. I have everything I need and it's always been there. And so my work is, is understanding how to get there here without feeling like, oh, I wish I could go back, you know, but how can I do it here in this, in my office, <laughs> you know, my, my little studio here. Exactly. I love that example, Allison, cause that's, that's a moment of mm. pure embodied wholeness. That's what it felt like. And in those mo you, you can't unlearn that moment now. Yes. You know, you always have that embodied experience. So the more moments we can have like that, the more we can access that wholeness in our ordinary day-to-day -day lives. And I do feel like as humans, we generally are taught to disconnect from our bodies. And that might look like, Johnny, you know, make sure you give Aunt Lena a kiss. Right. I don't want to. Right. And then we tell, no, you need to give Aunt Lena a kiss. You don't mm -hmm. want to offend her. And so you're taught that your instincts are not right. And so you start disconnecting. Completely. Or somebody says, you know, you're trying too hard or you're being too much and you start to disconnect. And I, I want, I think it is like a great epidemic that we're suffering as, as people. And I, I'd love to understand what peace and freedom look like through your eyes and the work that you do? Mm, what a great question. Peace and freedom. It's spaciousness to be beyond all of the masks. Spaciousness to be exactly who we're meant to be in this life, in this world. What does it feel like to be fully embodied and feel like you are living your purpose? It feels like limitlessness, that I can show up just as I am, no matter any judgment, no matter what society says, no matter what the world is reflecting back. It's this reference, this inner ground of being that is untouched by anything outside of me. It's mm. the greatest liberation. That's beautiful. Jeff, what about you? Tell me what it feels like. You've been, both of you have done this work with shamans, with medicine people in all different countries, all different modalities, working with in, indigenous practices. I mean, you guys have lived and breathed this. And you, I, I don't know that I could ever have even a slice of your experience. What does it feel like to be fully embodied and living your purpose now? The best way I can describe it is that it's this state of being and knowing, just knowing. And an interesting thing happened to me many years ago. I began seeing people very differently. I actually began seeing people, everybody, as children, hmm. 
just in grown-up bodies, Mm -hmm. but as children. And knowing, and just kind of being able to accept them just as they are. Hmm. The words unconditional love. See, in in our definition of unconditional love is accepting what is just as it is. Mm -hmm. And just being in that spaciousness. And that purposefulness. And knowing that every life we touch is better because of that touch. And it sounds like you, it requires a massive amount of trust in your intuition and yourselves. And my goodness, what a gift. We call that, and, and we share with people, that it's essential for us to trust our knowing. Mm. That intuition. Our own, our own knowing. Our own knowing. Yes. Right. Not the ego's knowing. Yeah. But our knowing. How do you determine which one is ours and which one is the programming? Well, I'll share for me when I have a question as to whether I'm operating from my ego mm. or from my spirit, yeah. my heart, right? I tune into how that feels. And if it feels the least bit contractive, it's the ego. If it feels expansive, it's most certainly my heart mm. and, and my spirit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't know. So That's we a just, cool practice. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's um, something that we teach quite a bit of. Yeah, it's that great question. What emotional energy is present? And if you feel a little constriction in your upper belly, the diaphragm where our ego lives, it's from the ego. Huh. If it feels expansive or spacious and you kind of soften in this embodied way, from the heart hmm you know a great example is <clears throat> if a person says I'm angry and they tune into how that feels it feels contractive mm-hmm. if a person says I love you whew, boy that just flows right out of us doesn't it mm-hmm. okay you see and that's the difference and when we're able to kind of tune into what we're feeling you know moment by moment it allows us to understand which eye we're operating from mm-hmm. the eye of the ego or the eye of our of our heart it sounds like it requires some deep work to get there and to kind of tune in in a way um of understanding that that voice is clear and when you jeff talked about hearing that voice heal yourself like i always you know my mother passed away last year and I'm like, can't some butterflies show up or something? <laughs> you know, like, can't she just tell me something? How do you clear those channels enough to hear those voices or guidance? Lena and I always teach you begin with grounding. You begin by connecting with the energy of the earth and bringing that energy up into the heart. And with every breath releasing energies that you're carrying to Mother Earth and every in-breath bringing her energy up. Some amazing things happen when that occurs. Um, By the way, there's some scientific research quite a bit around this. Our heart rate lowers. Mm -hmm. Our blood pressure lowers. We start producing different neurotransmitters in our brain. Okay, Our red blood cells on, on the cluster so we get more oxygen. All right, and overall, we we feel much more settled, calmer, quieter, grounded. Okay, <clears throat> and then 
we ask the question and wait for the answer. It's so simple, right? Exactly. <laughs> but it's not simple, easy. Simple, but not easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just had Mariel Hemingway on the podcast and she talked about the seven doctors, Dr. Air, Dr. Earth, Dr. Mm. Uh, it was really interesting where it's kind of reinforcing the same thing and all the truly scientific benefits that happen from these natural accesses that we have available to us all the time, but we're so conditioned that it's not fast enough. It's not, it's not a pill that's going to take us out of it. And I wonder, Lena, what do you know that you wish other people could know? Hmm. That they have everything they've ever needed or desired within them. We're so programmed to reach outside of ourselves. But that abundance, that love, the joy that we all deeply desire at the core, it's already there. I know there are a lot of people that are listening to this and really suffer from self-loathing and saying something like that and understanding and maybe changing the framework and the perspective from where they come from of maybe somewhere and there's a glimmer of something different. And that is a very powerful gift. It's important to understand that there's so much more than what you perceive because of all you're perceiving is that self-loathing and that is what you're choosing to create as your reality as your thoughts are moving through your consciousness. No, there's a different way. And just because you're feeling that or or witnessing those thoughts does not make those thoughts reflective of who you Mm. actually are. It's pretty cool when you think about the dissociative effects of the the stories that you tell yourselves and then what if you write a different story right and just by accessing yourself what about you jeff what do you know that you wish other people could know well along the same lines of what you know lena has shared is that everybody contains all of the answers we just have to make sure we're asking ourselves the right questions Mm mm-hmm we have this we have this yeah. amazingly powerful knowing and trusting that knowing like following that in intuition even though it might scare the hell out of you but just trusting and that trust in our knowing is so powerful so powerful so what is next for the east institute how can people work with you yeah first Visit us on our website, theeastinstitute.com. You guys are busy. You have so many exciting things and so many offerings. A lot of different offerings. The East Method um, being our primary deep healing program. We do international immersions. We're taking a group to Peru here in about a month for spiritual initiation journey. And then our next international immersions in Costa Rica June 7th through 12th, Mm. which is a place that we feel very soulfully called to. And, you know, we're, we're just excited to share this transformative work with the world and more and more people are, are open as Mm -hmm. it gets demystified. So, um, so what do you see? What do you see of people's transformation? Oh, it's, I mean, it's really hard to put words to it. I mean, you (laughs) both have had incredible transformations yourself, you know? 
We've seen it all. Going from terminal illness to healed and healthy. Well, I mean, think in terms of, of um, literally 180 degree mm-hmm. swing with people. Mm-hmm. People who were literally suicidal going on a one year bucket list trip four months later. Mm. People who were locked in the throes of, of PTSD um, actually like being open and, and happy and able to connect you know, with other with other people, people who had phobias and severe anxiety, like flying, for example, you know, waking up one morning and getting on a plane and feeling just fine, mm. right? And in all of the degrees, you know, um, in between. And you know, Lena and I always say that we have we've got a front row seat to the greatest show on earth mm. because we witness people changing their lives for the better in a matter of months versus years if if it happens how do you hold space for such incredible transformation and by that i mean people i imagine people come from the depths of life that are very very painful and that's emotional work how do you guys keep yourself protected and kind of not take it on in a way that that sticks to you Oh yeah. Where you can hold that space. This is where you got to practice what you preach. Yeah. So just diligent energy management practices, energy shielding practices, taking time off, you know, for us being out in nature, being at the ocean, being, you know, in the mountains is highly restorative. So prioritizing that. So we're on a lot of the time, especially in this hyper growth mode, Mm -hmm. but taking chunks of time away and creating that space is so essential. And then honestly, you know, when you're an instrument of this work and an instrument of the medicine, it's not about you, Mm. you know? So in that space, there's a lot of objectivity where, you know, our, because we've done, of course we're human and things come up, but we've done quite a bit of work. So we're, we're not getting triggered or activated Mm. by someone else's emotional release. So it's a very loving, compassionate, but objective sacred space holding. Yeah. We, we find ourselves in a state of compassion versus, um, a state of being empathic. Explain the difference. Sympathy and empathy are emotional reactions to somebody else's situation. Empathy in particular is when we give them our energy, we say something like, oh, you poor thing, and then we take on their energy. I feel your pain. Mm. Compassion is not an emotional reaction. It's a state of being. We can hold ourselves. We can see somebody in the depths of their their despair. We can meet them right where they're at Mm. and not take on their energy and offer to assist. You see, so shifting from that empathic to compassionate state allows us to kind of maintain our energetic integrity. That is amazing. What a gift too. I don't, you know, I think when I'm in states like that, I'm like, I don't know how people can, like I'd be crying all the time. (laughs) And that, I mean, that can happen. We, we still get touched. Um, but it's, you know, I think the honor of the work trumps it all that Mm -hmm. it's just such like the greatest honor to be chosen to do this work. And and that's why our souls are here. So if that gives, that's like a rejuvenating energetic Mm. charge. What do y'all do for fun? 
We love music. We're actually, we're going to Stevie Nicks next week. No way. Yeah. Where is she playing? She's playing. Chastain or something. Alpharetta. Is that where it is? Oh, wow. Yeah. So music, um, being traveling, uh-huh. just like the anonymity of traveling and being somewhere where no one can reach us and just like wandering around um, nature or a city. Food. We're both culinary. Big foodies. Just like big foodies. So that's a big thing that we love. So how can people work with you? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, um, you can email us, um, Lena at the East Institute. L-E-N-A. L-E-N-A at the East Institute.com or Jeff, J-E-F-F at the East Institute.com. And you can send us um, a request through our website and, you know, we're both active on social media. We share a lot of free teachings and content. So um, my, my social handle is I am Lena Franklin and Jeff's is Jeff Gladstein. He probably doesn't even know his handle. <laughs> <laughs> he has some, we have someone who runs it, but we both share, like to really offer um, free supportive teachings. And I'll link everything in the show notes, but I'm Great. so grateful to you both for your work on this earth and for uh, coming and sharing your stories and your wisdom with us. Grateful. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. Mm. I love the part about how the plant medicine repatterns your brain and the stories of transformation are so encouraging. For me personally, I especially love the rise of the divine feminine. If you'd like to learn more or work with Lena Franklin and Jeff Gladstein at the East Institute, I've linked their info in the show notes. Also, if you're interested in hearing about my journey with psychedelic assisted therapy, go and listen to episode 150 of this podcast. I've linked that and all my contact info in the show notes too. I sure hope to hear from you. If you want to go deeper with me, go to allisonandhair.com and sign up to get my weekly personal emails, or you can just shoot me a note at allison at allisonhair.com. Your life will definitely improve by doing so. Thanks for listening. I hope you leave a review in whatever podcast player you're listening to. I uh, will thank you forever, and I hope you have a great week.